Hey man, and welcome to the Badam Chain with Carl. Howdy my rabbies. Happy Friday, happy Sunday, happy weekday, happy cut the grass day, happy garbage day, happy breakup day, whatever day it is. Hey man, it's a day. Enjoy it. Welcome to the Badam Ching, friends. Everybody that's been with me my whole time. My whole time? Our whole time. To all my rowdies out there, appreciate it, man. If this is your first time and you're a new rowdy, hey, man, I'll send you a hat. Send me uh, <laughs> send me $50 and I'll send you some random hat uh, that makes you a rowdy of mine. So there you go. We're all winners here. Hope everybody's having a good week, man. Seriously, I think I'm doing okay. Uh, I just checked in on myself and I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. I'm on night two of the CR3 Nights of Comedy Tour. That's right. Uh, I performed night one last night at the world-famous Arnold's Country Kitchen here in beautiful Nashville. And uh, had a blast, man. You know, one thing I didn't expect was to get a free meal out of it and free cocktails. So, oh, uh, OCR3 had a great time. And uh, thanks, shout out to... uh, Mike Pablo for hosting and Corey Knox for uh, not being there, but he did get me on the show. So thanks, guys. Appreciate that. And tonight I've got my show uh, at Eastwood Deli, the good, the red and the funny. Followed that up by a nice cherry on top at the comedy bar with my buddy Steven Spinola. So look out, Nashville. Boom. And I think tomorrow for night three is back at the comedy bar. That's right. Groundhog Day. Anyway, hope you guys are uh, having fun. I hope you're still listening. <laughs> All right, man. My guest this week is Evan Burke. That's right, Evan Burke. Evan Burke's on my show tonight, actually, over at Eastwood. Evan Burke is a uh, comic. He started cutting his teeth in Charleston, South Carolina, and then he moved up to New York, and then he went out to L.A., and it's a whole spiel. That he uh, unleashes on us, man. And it, I was really happy to sit with Evan for a prolonged amount of time. And uh, the the conversation just took this wild ride. And it was just, it's a blast. I think you'll dig it. Learn a lot about this man. In fact, uh, the conversation just spilled over after this. It probably would have went all night. But, you know, I had to go play rock star and, and be a comic for the evening. So, uh, appreciate Evan for hanging out on the Badum Ching. And here we go. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my new pal, Evan Burke. Guys, I'd like to think I'm smart. I'd like to think I'm intelligent. Constantly reminded I'm not. Like, am I the only person that thought when someone said they had a cousin twice removed, you thought that twice that person had been kicked out of that family? Like, I thought every time your cousin went to jail, they became one more seat removed from the family. That's what my mom told me. I just don't know things. I'm originally from the South. Any Southerners in here? People from the South? Yeah, I come from a long line of people that just didn't read and were very proud of that. They just get words and phrases wrong all the time. It rubbed off on me. Like, when I was growing up, whenever my dad had beef with somebody, he would say he had a hard-on for that person. I'd be like, Bill the neighbor just gave me some candy. He'd be like, Bill the neighbor 
got a pretty big heart on for that guy. Dude rubs me the wrong way. You should not go over there. And I was confused. Sounded like he was rubbing my dad the right way. I don't know. I don't know. You know, but now I'm confused walking around thinking hard on means to be angry at someone. You know, so imagine in high school, my girlfriend and I were making out. She was like, ooh, Evan, do you have a hard on right now? I was like, for you? Never. <laughs> I could never. I love you. I'm not hard at all, matter of fact. I do have a hard on for your mom, though, if we want to go there. I mean, that 7 p.m. curfew is early. I'm busting at the seams. All right, here we are at the Village Pub. It's your first time at the Village Pub. First uh, time. What do you think, man? I like it. Yeah. I like it here a lot. I mean, I mean, very cute, cute spot. It's like a house in there. It right? literally is a house. Did yeah. someone live there? Did yes. Someone... Like, uh, I talked to a guy, a regular, that almost bought this house years ago uh, when it was not the best neighborhood, and they were selling it for like $30,000 or something. This house? Thing. Yeah. He said the wild thing is, like, uh, if you look around, it used to, all I can think is like maybe it was owned by like a little person because like a lot of the uh, he said like the bathroom like everything was very low. So yeah, you got the ramps and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that was there before. Okay. I think they added all that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, well, it could be. Well, I like it. Well, I'm excited to be here on the podcast. What number is this? What, what forty-seven. Number? Oh, forty-seven. Forty-seven. Yeah. Number forty-seven. Interesting. Yeah, with a bullet, right? I'm very excited about that. Cool. They say the number 47 is interesting. Do you know about the number 47? No. Oh, gosh. I, I don't want to get started on it because I don't know enough about it. But after this. <laughs> Tell me know, something. I've gone it. down some rabbit holes. Well, they say that the number 47, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. But, like, <laughs> you know, like, here's the thing. Like, I love to do do some research on some conspiracy stuff. I like to skim the surface. Uh-huh. I like to know what the crazies are, are thinking, talking, so that. You know, you just got you got to be prepared. You know what I mean. You don't want to um, completely be oblivious. Okay. You know, you can't it, give me anything about it. Well, what I do know is that like it's it like it's a number that kind of. I think what people believe it's a number that can will continually pop up in your life once you start paying attention to it, and it kind of proves that like in some ways there is like. Maybe not the world is a matrix, but like, or a um, simulation. But I think it has a lot to do with like simulation theory. Mm. And that like, this is all a simulation. And I think they believe that like, the number 47 is somewhat involved in that in the sense that it like pops up. So when you just said that I'm episode 47, Uh, it just kind of uh, clicked. It just kind of clicked, I think. So, So. So maybe this isn't really happening. Well, I think it's happening, and I think it's happening for a reason. So okay. that's what I believe. There we go. We'll yeah. chase that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah, I'm just so inspired by the new Matrix trailer that came out today. I don't know if you saw it. They came out no. the new. They came out the new trailer for the new Matrix. Matrix. Did uh, they really? Matrix. What are they calling it? Matrix Resurrections. Oh, they're back now. They're back. So is Keanu doing? Keanu's in there. Trinity's in there. Really? And they've got. Um, I don't think anyone else from the originals is in there, but they do have a Morpheus character. Priyanka Chopra, I believe, plays um, uh, the Oracle, young Oracle. Oh, so, so this is, like, is this a prequel? Well, I don't know if it's a prequel, but it does appear that the Morpheus character... Did you see Watchmen on HBO? 
I the Watchmen not. series. It's phenomenal. You should okay. check it out if you can. People yeah. have been telling me that. For a long Truly, time. really great. But the guy who plays, uh, who ends up, uh, I can't. I don't want to give too much away. I'll give it but away. the guy that plays um, her, the main character, Regina, Regina. That's her name, right? The main character in Watchmen. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see it um, or read it. Yeah. Well, the person who plays her husband, it plays Morpheus. So okay. a young Morpheus. Young looks Morpheus. like a young Morpheus. So okay. I don't know. It looks good, but did Lawrence Fishburne just not want to come back? Probably not. Huh. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It looks it looks like a different movie. Like it looks like the same movie, but a different movie. Does it look good? Um, it looks like it could go either way. It looks like only one of the you know how they were originally two siblings involved in the creation. Yeah. Of it, it seems I think only one was involved in this one. Okay. So. Maybe it's half good. <laughs> you know? Hopefully it's fully good. I, I like that uh, they're doing construction now. Is that going to be an issue to you? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. It might end up being. What the? That's so funny. There's nowhere else to go. Well, maybe they're only drilling for so long. Quick drilling. It's like he's not even Should doing anything. Should we pause for a second? All right, there we are. Yeah, so maybe it'll be half good, but uh, but I don't know. I feel like I already got us talking about weird stuff, so let's let's redirect. Let's talk about comedy. Oh, comedy. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Comedy's yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, I, I'm glad to be here. Number forty seventh episode. That's great. What um what have you learned doing the podcast? Let me ask you a question. Uh thus far. You know, it, it's been very. Uh, when it started, the podcast started, it was a very specific thing. It was uh, comics that do other forms of art. Since I was a musician, I guess I am a musician, I thought it would be fun to interview like people that do anything else. Right. And then I found out pretty fast, oh, there's only like five people that do that. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so like in, going through that, I just opened it up to being interviewing Nashville Comics, and now it's become just the Nashville Comedy Podcast. Cool. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, because I didn't want to stop doing this another thing I learned is like I enjoy doing this for whatever reason I didn't yeah. think I would like I always I was the guy that like balked at any podcast and like ah it's dumb yeah. you know and like COVID hit so I, I was bored I was like I guess I'll do a podcast yeah. and uh yeah it didn't take me long to realize oh I like I like doing it so I uh, learned that I like it and the technology was the biggest thing for me yeah. to learn yeah it was just so hard and, and again People have heard this before, but go back to Seth Pomeroy. Uh, shout out to him for like helping me, like baby stepping me in, like learning GarageBand for the first time. Right. Uh, this microphone. He told me to get this microphone specifically. And, uh, I've since uh, switched from uh, uh, back to a Mac, so I learn Audacity again, or Audacity, a new program for the first time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, enjoying the whole process. Good. Yeah, good. There it is. I mean, you got to you got to venture out in comedy. You know what I mean. You can get up on stage, do stand up, but you know, having a podcast, having another outlet, it's always important. You know, uh, I got friends. Sometimes Whether it's improv, you know what I mean. Yeah, something. like like I got friends that do sketch. You know, and like uh, buddy asked me to be on one the other day. I love sketch. Like I, I grew up maybe maybe liking sketch more than stand up. Maybe yeah. like as far as like Mister Show and Kids in the Hall stuff mm-hmm. like that. Just a huge fan. Yeah. But, like, I've never really done anything like that. So, yeah. I don't... That would be fun, but also, like, I don't have any real acting, you know, ex- 
experience other than like what church plays or something. Yeah, but I mean, I will say like if you if you do take an improv class or a sketch writing class or something, um, that thing that can really jumpstart you, and uh, especially if you already are on stage in some capacity. I mean, I started doing comedy and doing stand up, and then I took a couple of improv classes. Um, mainly because I wanted to get better at stand-up. I didn't. I never really ha- had any goals to get good at improv. Um, how, did, how did you think, uh, taking improv, before you took it, how did you think it was going to help inform your stand-up? Well, I just thought that it was going to make me think sharper so that, like, when I, uh, you know, was confronted with a situation on stage, I'm able to kind of, you know, free associate or whatever. And... Um, and then, yeah, it also just allowed me to uh, be comfortable with kind of like being silly and looking stupid. You know what I mean? I think that's the big thing is it's like, I think that's why so many people are afraid of like public speaking and people are so hesitant and stuff. It's because they're like, they're afraid that they look dumb or that they, mm. you, know, you know, they're afraid of being judged and stuff. And so, um, you know, improv, it's like they make you do such silly things and they make you really like push your boundaries in that regard. Okay. Um, that by the time you're like getting on stage doing stand-up, you're you you feel like you've kind of um, widened out like how comfortable you are to kind of like explore your your own kind of like you know comedic intuition. Do you, do you feel you know? like it, it helped you? It aided uh, that for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Just in and just in terms of like kind of like kind of helping with your imagination, you know, kind of helps. Um, yeah, it helps, like, the thing about improv, like, good improv is great because it takes, like, two people or three people or however many people in a situation and, uh, and I don't know, just kind of plays out, um, but in a very, I don't know, real way, funny way, you know, improv it's supposed to be how people really react, like, especially if an improviser really digs their heels into the character or the attitude that they're, you know, representing in that moment, yeah. it can be really great, you know? And so, you know, in a lot of sense, like, you know, it helped with that, like getting on stage and doing stand-up, it really helps you commit. Like if you're doing an act out during stand-up, it'll really help you commit to that act out. That makes Uh, sense. Or, yeah. Or if you're, it also helps you with your comedic timing, you know, understanding just like sometimes audiences like when you do this, they like doing, doing that. So, yeah. I mean, it's just something that can help, you know. Yeah. It's not something that everyone should do or needs to do but it helped me it helped you where'd yeah. you study it at? so i did a course in charleston at the at theater 99 okay uh, i did level one there and then i went to chicago one summer and i did the second city see there you go and i yeah. did uh like a four week intensive where i did like uh, levels one and two of improv and sketch writing and, and sketch writing That's yeah great. and then i did levels one and two at UCB in New York. Dang. So, like, talk about committing. There yeah. you go. So, I've, you know, I've tried to do, I've tried, and the second city was my favorite of yeah. all. Yeah. I mean, they were so good. I mean, that was like <laughs> such a life changing. It's, it's still like the pinnacle. Yeah. I mean, be like, yeah. I mean, the, uh, my, my instructors there were just so good and I had such a good time. And the people that, that I went there with have gone on to do some pretty cool stuff and just a really great group of people. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just always wanted to stay, you know, plus improvs, you know, taking improv classes, it's a great way to meet people, 
it's a great way to meet, meet people that are doing comedy and again like maybe in a different way like you were talking about you know wanting to get more into sketch yeah it's like improv is a great way to meet people that are maybe really good at writing sketch maybe that's their priority but maybe they need a stand up point of view to come in there and punch it up or whatever why, why do you think amongst stand up that uh, improv becomes like the butt of the joke you know what I mean like oh that's not real comedy you know is it because yeah. the propensity to be bad but also stand up can be yeah. bad too yeah well I think there's it is a propensity to be bad but I also think it has to deal with the business mindset behind it like I just think inherently stand ups want to make money doing stand-up mm. they all want to earn money everyone's trying to like quit their day jobs right. to just do stand-up and there's like a grind to it and i think with improv there's kind of a certain mentality where they're all you know there's a certain mentality that's like it's going to be really hard to get to that point <laughs> unless we all become like comedic actors or actresses or something yeah and so i think there's a certain i don't, I don't want to use the term like because it's not a lack of commitment but I just think that like stand-ups have this chip on their shoulder about like you know they want to no way yeah and whereas you know improvisers are more maybe just in it to do it for fun and they enjoy doing it and yeah. they're, they bunch don't of have, hippies they don't have these big expectations like I think stand-ups have these huge expectations yeah. as to what their career is going to be and yeah. whereas you know I think you're and this is all like I think talking more on like a local level. But even now, I don't know if you go to the big cities, like improv is still the butt of the joke, and <laughs> and it's also like you know in like bigger cities like New York and LA, I've seen like a lot of people t- doing improv or rich kids who yeah uh, their parents are paying for the improv classes yeah maybe you know and improv is a pay to play type sport. I mean, if you're good at improv, if you're great at improv. Uh, it, you won't get any time at your local improv theater unless you're paying to take classes there. Really? So you could be a natural talent at improv. Unless you're not taking the But class. if you're not doing level yeah, one there's, there's and no then like, level two and then level three and then level four, you won't get on stage. There's no and mics so, for improv, really. You know? I mean, they, they do improv jams, okay. which... So I didn't even know. Which, which it's usually for the you know levels one through four of an improv theater to come together. It's not really for like... It's not for the public. It's not for like the guy who doesn't want to pay for classes to show up and be like, I'm about to fucking crush right now. Yeah. So, so yeah. essentially improv yeah. is a scheme for the schools to make money. <laughs> I mean, kind of. No. Oh. I mean, no. I mean, like they, 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 you know, they teach a lot of great stuff and improv yeah, is great. for sure. All, but, uh, I'm not... But I would say that, that that's... I don't know why... Why there's this hostility? Yeah, there, yeah, there is tension yeah. between. Yeah, you know, but I've I've had comic friends that have taken classes and they all say that it does nothing but help. You know, on I mean, any level. Yeah, you know, it, it you're gonna learn something. Yeah, and that totally should, that should be fine. Yeah, you know? totally. Uh, but stand up is more fun. There's nothing better than just you being on stage. Completely, <laughs> Maybe it's a narcissism. Completely there. owning the moment. Like, yeah, even when it's bad. No, it's like, yeah, I did exactly. All that. Yeah, and you don't have to rely on anyone to show up. Like, I mean, with improv, because it is such a part-time thing for a lot of people, you know, you've got, um, you know, I think you've got a lot of people that uh, part-time it in, you know, so if you're on an improv group with four people. We go from, like, a jackhammer to the loudest bass. I wonder if I'll get sued for having that music playing. Probably. <laughs> You'll have a, yeah, a little notification will pop up. Yeah. <laughs> 
Wait, we know that we know that car rattle. Yeah, that's very familiar. Somebody, so some listener right now in there in their car listening to your podcast is shazamming that song <laughs> because of what they heard on your podcast. I wonder if it came through. Number forty-seven. Yeah, dude. number forty-seven. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I'm not like an anti-improv guy. Like really good improv is like very funny, very very, very, very rare, and very rare. But also in. It's because how many, how many, I mean, because again, it's like how many groups of three or four people are that committed to something that makes you no money for that long? Yeah. I think America, it's hard. I think America really got, it's uh, like being in a band. America really got uh, spoiled with that, uh, whose line is it, right? Yeah. Because that's the cream of the crop. You yeah. You know, like, they just made it look effortless. Yeah. I mean, being in improv is like being in a band, but like at any moment, everyone has the opportunity and should probably go solo. <laughs> it's it. like you know sense. so like yeah. to stay abandoned improv makes no sense kind of but <laughs> that's why the two the two first work really well like the TJ and Dave's okay and uh, you know Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch okay um, you know that always works duos that, that's a whole thing too yeah you know that's a that's a died died out art I know you know I know I think that's the move though like they my, got the trio right now, though. I don't know if you watch 85 South Show. Those guys were No, wrong. should I? Yeah, that's uh, Carlos Miller, Chico Bean, DC Young Fly. Okay. Uh, three guys out of Atlanta. Uh, they have a podcast slash, you know, it's video, it's live shows, and um, just amazing. They've got, like, a band on stage, and they do a lot of crowd work. It's like it's like um, Deaf Comedy Jam. Oh, man, like, I, lo- I love like, it. But, like, for, like, 2020 type, you okay. know, this era kind of okay. thing. So it's great. I love this comedy yeah. jam. Oh, yeah. I used to watch. My There's grandparents had uh, HBO, and so I'd stay there on the weekends, you know, just to watch HBO mainly. You yeah, know? I mean they're they're nice, but yeah, you know, yeah, Def Comedy Jam every Friday or whatever it was, you know, loved it totally. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, when did you start? When was what's your uh, the comedy? Thing? Yeah. Oh, uh, still new in it, man. Like 2018. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you you said your your background's in music. Yeah, yeah, that was a long, long time ago. It's like uh, I was a band nerd, you know. So I joined band in sixth grade. What'd you play? Drums. Uh, drums. Yeah. That's and, tight. Uh, though. I bet that I mean, that's what you want to play. Well, it was wild, man. I had no aspirations to do anything other than like play video games. And, and yeah. uh, I was a chubby kid by around sixth grade, uh, and so yeah, I remember specifically playing Super Mario Two, and my aunt came in. Uh, with the snare drum she's like hey you're gonna be in sixth grade uh, you should join you should join band because her two boys play drums mm-hmm. and I was like oh okay maybe I never thought about it you know yeah. like as, a, as an option but uh, they brought a drum over and, and uh, one thing led another and I just ended up doing it because what else am I gonna do you know and like it changed my life eventually you know it's like so you played in a band? Like uh, just for fun, man. I, I never. Uh, I came. I moved to Nashville in '05, and uh, thought I was gonna like just play because all the advice I got was like move to a bigger city, and this was uh, the best option from Arkansas. It was like four hours away. Where are you from Still originally? Four hours away. Uh, from Northeast Arkansas. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I graduated from Arkansas State there, and uh, music, and then came here in 05 and uh, ended up joining the band for a while you know and like eventually I, I came thinking I was going to do like a gun for hire kind of thing and 
after just looking at it and I never really tried it. I was like, I don't think it's for me. Yeah. So uh, I found like playing with my friends was the best thing, which one never really make me any money. Uh, but I found it to be more of a hobby than I didn't want to make it a career. Yeah. And then uh, floundered on that. Uh, that. That band split up. And What were they called? Uh, Uberphonics, which was a... Uh, and this was before Uber. Yeah. This, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, we had the umlaut on the... Yeah. The he, he kept that band going. We, we Me and the bass player split. It was just... We were tired of playing for nobody. It was an instrumental jam band. Okay. Uh, I thought it was like jazz, but... It was a hippie band. I'm not a hippie band. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I know I look like it. Uh, I play. I could play the part well, yeah. but uh, you know, it's like, oh, this is a jam band. I, this ain't fun. You like and playing I, jazz? I did. Yeah, I studied yeah. that too. You know, like, uh, I was okay. I wasn't. I studied because I wanted to be good, and I got better at it. I was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I was not going to be a jazz drummer. Yeah. You know. Uh, again, I'm. I. I I choose things that are not going to make me any money. Right. Like jazz, you go from jazz drummer to like comedy. comedy. Yeah. So what am I doing? <laughs> You're going for happy, man. And that's, uh, that's the most important thing I think out so. here. I know? think so. But yeah, I'm still new at it. Yeah. Now for you though, you've been at yeah. this for a while. Let's, a let's, while. let's yeah. backtrack um, yeah. because we kind of get spilled, spilled the beans a little bit from where you started. But take us back. What got yeah. Evan into doing this thing man. oh man well kind of a wild story <laughs> Good. But, uh, yeah so i mean it all kind of started in high school when i was on uh my high school's uh speech and debate team okay so doing debate going on debate tournaments on the weekend you know uh arguing with people two on two one on one and then also you were a good debater? I was a pretty good debater, and then they also had like a performance aspect called humorous interpretation, dramatic interpretation, where you would, you know, memorize like a 10-minute monologue or sketch or and perform it. They also had like an impromptu, like an improv type of thing where you'd get a word and you had to just riff on it and stuff like that. And Within the debate? Yeah, thing? so there were all these different categories and just kind of like... And so I did that in high school. And, I, and then also like at the lunch table, you know... I was always oh, yeah. roasting people and shit and like I was just like I was just on it and I like you know I really liked Dane Cook and um, you know I loved comedy growing up loved Jim Carrey yeah really loved a lot of that stuff um, but yeah kind of a defining moment high school senior year on the way to a debate tournament and um, and uh, you know we get into a car accident and uh, the car kind of flips down the highway a bunch of times I'm not wearing a seatbelt <laughs> I'm getting tossed around the car, and yeah, and I end up uh, ended up kind of really injuring my injuring my hand. I'll show you here. Got my hand degloved is the term. So my hand was basically ripped off, and then sewn what? back on. Really? Yeah. Wow. And um, that happened to me Halloween day, senior year of high school. Uh, ripped off. Yes. And sewn back. On. So we were. Uh, I'm from Marietta, Georgia. We were going to the University of Florida for a debate tournament, and this happened in Valdosta. Uh, so I went to the hospital, had my hand. I mean, it took years ultimately for them to fully reconstruct my hand. I still don't have full mobility. I don't have tendons in these three fingers and uh, I have limited range of motion. But, um, in any case, I, uh, survived and I, you know, something about this whole thing just, um, 
I don't know. I guess I didn't really fully process the, the magnitude of it, but I, I definitely felt something in that moment wake me up. Like just a light bulb clicked and wires got connected finally or something. And um, I guess that would be a wake up call. And this was my senior year of high school. And, you know, I'm going through, I'm going through all the rehab and the surgeries and I'm on a shit ton of painkillers. So, like, I'm able to, like, have somewhat of a positive outlook on things. Like, I'll be okay, whatever. Um, and then, you know, I had already, prior to this, I had been toying with the idea of doing comedy, but I'm what, a senior in high school. So like, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> so then this car accident happens and you know, I had this like, get busy, get busy, get busy living, get busy dying mentality. Yeah, sure. So then the next year I, um, I ended up going to college to the college of Charleston. All of the other colleges I applied to were big, like, southern state schools like UGA, which I actually did not get into, but, like, Auburn, Alabama, you know, University of South Carolina. Yeah. My, my family really just, my, you know, I was going to a school in the southeast. I wasn't going anywhere else. And I ended up applying to the College of Charleston. I remember visiting there when I was younger and really loving it. And, and of all the schools that I had gotten into, when I looked at the list, I was like, I'm going to have the most unique experience if I go to Charleston. How so? Well, no football team. That's unique. Uh, it's a small liberal arts college, um, 12,000, 14,000 students okay. on the water. Charleston is just uh, an incredible city. Okay, whereas, I've heard that. whereas all of the other schools that I got into, again, Alabama, University of South Carolina, Auburn, I would just be one in a shit ton of people. And I, you know what I mean? It yeah, was. Sure. Uh, and plus, those are big party schools. Big know. party schools, yeah. and and you know, at this at this juncture, I did a lot of partying in high school, like a lot of partying in high school. Like by the time I had gotten to, uh, by the time I had like graduated high school, you know, we had been doing shrooms, acid, Xanax, weed. You know, we had done a ton of partying. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd go to the smoke shop and get whatever little weird liquid syrups. Wouldn't, you know what I mean? Remember the <laughs> the red and blue like syrups? They'd be like, only take a limited amount before bed. And we're like, what are we doing? You know, we were. Do- I mean, I don't know. I grew up. We were so bored, and uh, we did a lot of drugs, a lot of partying, a lot of stuff we shouldn't have. In any case, so by the time I get to college, I've had this near death experience. All my friends are like getting drunk for the first time. Yeah, and you're like, Ugh. and I'm like. I'm looking around. Charleston's like a cool town, and I'm like, man, I've always wanted to do comedy. Let me check this out. So I, I Google the, the the local, you know, comedy place in town. It's a theater called M, called Theater Ninety Nine. It's an improv theater, and I'm like, hey, I want to do stand up. Do you guys do any stand up shows? And they're like, well, we have a stand up competition coming up, and anyone can enter just if you pay twenty five bucks. <laughs> and I hadn't Again, done comedy yet. That's the whole like and scheme I done comedy of making yet. money. And I go, I go, all right. So I can just like walk over right now, give you twenty five dollars, and then I can do comedy. And they're like, yeah. So I did it. That's how this works. <laughs> and, then, and then when I got there, I signed up for the contest, and they said, hey, but if you want to do like open mics and, and get good at comedy or whatever, there's a guy in town that runs a bunch of open mics, or he runs a couple open mics. You know, you should give him a call. His name's Dusty Slay. Mm-hmm. And uh, come to find out that uh, Dusty was hosting an open mic that was literally like 50 steps from my dorm room freshman year <laughs> every Monday night. It was right in front of your face. And the whole so time. every 
Monday night, I used my cousin's fake ID, because I was 18, to get into the Upper Deck Tavern on King Street in Charleston, and I did, and I started doing comedy. And the first time I ever did comedy, Dusty was hosting. He was very drunk, very <laughs> wasted, very out of it. And during my set, he just like went downstairs to smoke a cigarette, I guess, and got distracted. And uh, I ended up doing like 18 to 20 minutes. Your first time. My first time. And I'm just telling stories. Yeah. I had like four or five stories that I took to the stage. That was my thing. Everyone's always like, what do you do the first time you do comedy? What do you need? I, what I did was I had no jokes. I had all I had like four or five stories that I knew how to tell. I, I thought they were funny. I, th- I thought that they were relatable. And I felt like that was all I needed for like... I didn't want to overthink my first time getting on stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how I got into it. And then from there, I'm just a college student doing comedy in Charleston. So uh, that first experience where you confident were you nervous what was happening I mean I was definitely confident and and at that moment in my life I had such a fuck it attitude I had just been off of fresh off a near death experience I had my hand I think, I think that would justify I had my hand that. basically ripped off sewn back on I had a positive outlook on life though I'm now in a cool town <laughs> in college I'm a freshman um, my parents aren't here. The world is real oyster. And, 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 I, and, I guess, and I guess the one thing in that moment that clicked for me as it relates to my accident was I was just like, what's the point of holding back? We're all going to die. That's true. <laughs> and so at that moment in my life, I was almost reckless with like what I was saying and doing on stage. Yeah, it doesn't and, matter. You know, because I was, you know, I was 18. I'm you know, I'm, I'm not being held accountable for my actions, really. You know, I'm like, yeah. I'm in college. I don't really need, have or need a job well, at I this mean, point. Who, so Who's this, really held yeah. to anything when you're that young? Right. You know? Well, now. Also, yeah. let me backtrack a little bit because yeah. uh, I started laughing when you said that you uh, got in a wreck. But it's the yeah. way you said it. You said it kind of flipped a little bit, a lot. but Or whatever it was. <laughs> That's why I started laughing. I wasn't laughing. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to uh, turn or, out being yeah, bad. To clarify, it flipped about, it rolled about five or six times down the highway car literally hit we're driving down the highway car tried to change lanes behind us nicked our back bumper and just went and then just and there was a you know we were going on a debate tournament there was a car of our teammates behind us that watched the whole thing play out they weren't the ones that hit us yeah they watched the whole thing play out you think they all just gasped yeah i mean no they thought we were all dead sure were you only one did you have the the driver so Somebody broke their collarbone. That was that person's only injury. One person was knocked unconscious and got some road burn on their arm because their hand was kind of out the window, kind of on the side there. Uh, That was that person's injury. Uh, The person sitting next to me, no injury because when the car flipped and I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, my body pinned him like to his seat. So you helped him. So I, yeah. You were the human seatbelt. And then the driver of the car who was like a parent chaperone, but not a parent, our debate coach's like boyfriend. Uh, he apparently had some brain injury or something, but like I haven't spoken to them. There was a lot of fallout after okay. this. Okay. There was a lot, of, a lot of people got fired and sued and oh, okay. it was a mess. Okay. So it's kind of a mess. Yeah. The, the, the comedy in me was hoping for you saying yeah. the last guy died. Nobody died. Nobody died. Thank, thank, thank goodness. 
So yeah, so then I so then yes, so then I uh, got to Charleston. I start doing comedy, and the first time I ever did comedy, you know, like it took them a while. Like the surgeries on my hand took a while. You know, right after the accident, it took like eight months. You know, the first few surgeries were just like, let's see what's there. Let's look at the skin and the tissue. And did they have any hope? Make sure there's no infection. What kind of hope did they give you at this well, stage? The ho- uh, well, initially, initially because I was 17 when this happened. Yeah. Initially, when we were in the ER, uh, before going into the first surgery, uh, the doctor called my mom to get permission to amputate my hand. Oh, my God. Because that's what he thought he was going to have to do. Then he got in there. He saw that most of the skin was there. So cleaned it out, flushed it out, put all the skin back where it should be, and then they put like a big suction vac over my hand. They didn't stitch anything up. And so I was on that suction vac for like two days. Then after that, went in for another surgery where they opened everything back up to make sure there was no infection. Then that's when they stitched me up. Then I spent about six months healing the skin. Yeah. Meanwhile, during all this time, the insides of my hand are just destroyed. But they couldn't do anything yet because they needed the skin to heal before you can, like, do metal. So after about six or seven months, once all of the skin healed, that is when they began to reconstruct, like, my fingers. How were you able to, like, get through your senior year with all this going on? And I was on painkillers. <laughs> and luckily I had, I had some teachers that were very understanding. This happened like, on a school field like, trip. They're like, hey, man, this guy almost died. Let's give him a pass. This happened on a school field trip. And it's kind of shady, but, like, I love the, the principal tried to kind of cover up the whole accident happening. Uh, we shouldn't have been driving in the car that we were in. Really? We should have been given a bus or oh, some okay. sort of school transportation. Okay. There ended up being a gun in the car that I was in oh, great. that the parent chaperone brought. This guy's like 25. He's the teacher's, the coach's boyfriend. He's got a permit for the gun, but like, why is there a gun? And, and yeah, like it was bad. Like, I mean, we flipped down the highway a lot of times. Like somebody could have died and like they, they really tried to cover it up. And the teachers knew that. And the teachers didn't like this principle. Okay. So they all kind of rallied around me and I was able to like really scoot by my senior year to some extent. I would have leaned into it a little bit. I definitely did. And like, I mean, I was going to physical therapy two to three times a week. I had to be checked out of school for, you know, a while. Um, Yeah, it was tough and it was traumatic and it was awful. It was horrible. And at this point in time, you know, my parents are divorced. My brother is in college. So it's just me and my mom in the house. My dad's 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away. I see him regularly, but... I'm living with my mom and I can't do all these things that you normally do your senior year because like I might get a hand infection. You know, I've got all this shit on my hand this whole time. Like my skin really, I've been through a traumatic experience. Like the whole left side of my body really has been, uh, you know, you really do need time. Your whole body needs time to heal after something like that. So it it sucked. How are you Um, able to maintain that positive outlook? Well, I had a girlfriend, and, you know, it's funny, at that that point in time, uh, you know, one of my favorite bands is OAR. Okay. That was one of the first bands I ever decided to really like. I don't know if you know OAR, but... I've heard of them. You know, they're like a jam band a little bit, but like reggae, little white boy reggae. Oh, you would have loved a... White boy reggae mixed with little Dave Matthews kind of thing, (laughs) but a lot of their songs are, you know, about uh, just getting over that hill, you know what I mean? Just looking that... 
Actually, one of the songs that I was listening, the song that I was listening to when we crashed, the moment we crashed, the song that I was listening to was a song by OAR uh, called Conquering Fools. And the whole song is about, like, whatever fool tries to fucking steer you off your path, conquer it. Um, And funny enough, when I went to college of Charleston, when I moved to Charleston, you know, this is now, what, 10 months after my accident. The, the weekend of my move-in, OAR was playing at, a, uh, at the venue in Charleston. And my brother actually emailed the band just to be like, hey, my brother's been through some shit this year. He's, we're moving him into college. Um, he loves you guys. He listens, to, he listens to you guys all during his physical therapy and all that stuff. You know, if we could meet you all before or whatever. So they invite us to the meet and greet. So, you know, uh, I literally started college before I'd even gone to a class like we moved my stuff into a dorm then went to this concert I meet the band I tell them the story I tell them the stuff and I got to see like kind of my favorite band just be so cool be so nice and I gotta I gotta say that that also helped helped me get the confidence to then you know two weeks later I'm I'm messaging the local comedy theater in town being like I want to get on stage, you know, like I fresh off this new experience, met my like favorite band, my idols, these guys that kind of helped get me through this thing. And, um, yeah. So there it is. So that, yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I was smoking weed in high school. And again, like I said, my friends and I were doing drugs. Red, blue. So really, I don't even know this red, red on, blue on. I don't know what you're talking about, Dude, so if you went to the smoke shop slash sex store, I think in our town it's called Galaxy, the Galaxy <laughs> store or whatever, man, they had this stuff that looked like it was just in a blue thing and a red thing, and pretty sure it was called Red On or Blue On, and if you took enough, you'd just ho- trip balls, you'd hallucinate, really? and then if you were playing Guitar Hero, and yeah, and you'd be, had some weed, it's a, it's a great night, man, <laughs> that was 11th grade, baby. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and so then, you know, then I'm just, uh, that really, and then, yeah, so that really helped me, you know, like, when I was in high school, like, you know, looking forward to the next time I was going to do drugs and get messed up with my friends, you know, but then I got to college, and I'm, and I'm really grateful, I felt like I had a lot of clarity, you know, so I started doing mics, and, and it's, and um, that became my real passion, I kind of made it a goal of mine, that, like, while I'm in college, I'm going to become a comedian. I'm going to become a comedian in Charleston. And this yeah. town, by the time I'm at some point, is going to be like, you're you're a comedian here. You yeah. know? And, like, I was really, I kind of made that a goal when I first, uh, you know, when I first got there. I don't know. Fantastic for you to get such an early start on that. And, like, seeing the path clearly like that. You know yeah. What I mean... I mean it's kind of a blessing and a curse, I think, yeah, you know, cause sure. there's a lot of, there's a lot of like people in comedy that want to talk about oh, how long have you been doing it? Oh, oh yeah. you've been doing it that long and yeah. you're like, we're on the show, you know? And, and like, I don't see it that way. There's no trajectory, trajectory of success. But, but you know, I do think about, I do think about the universe and like, we're talking about the 47 and you know, yeah. whatever. And like, sometimes you have to look back at your life and you kind of have to look at certain coincidences or see, you know, Things that really informed certain moments. And I just think about, man, what if I had gone to University of Alabama? Right. 
Yeah. I wouldn't have gone to Charleston. And then, and then, because then I also think about like my comedy career, uh, and a lot of my comedy career, and uh, I'd say you know I feel like I've done quite a bit of work on my own. But when we talk about like a duo or a partnership or people you roll with, your day ones kind of thing, it's like you know I've done a lot of work with Dusty, and I think yeah. about like having met him at that moment in my life and how that's informed a lot of my you know experiences in comedy and he's been such a mentor as well how much um, older is he so he's i think he's about to turn 40 at his next birthday how old are you so i just turned 30 okay so that's enough yeah so he's that, like nine years older yeah that, yeah. How, yeah long, how long had he been doing comedy when he started so i want to say he did his first ever open mic in like 2005 or six and okay. he and he was doing improv in town you know, really? Dusty was definitely a guy who was he was prioritizing improv and prioritizing stand up uh, locally. Like he was like, I'm going to prioritize this as my hobby, and 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 a lot of it, you know, was maybe to drink a little bit and you know get ladies. He was also good at it, uh, <laughs> even when he was doing all that stuff a little bit. What but, was he um, like yeah. for the uh, for the hat for the you know? Yeah, the, man, the just wave. A, man, just a super nice guy. Uh, a guy that was always putting on shows, always trying to provide people with opportunities to do comedy. I've you heard know, nothing about that. He's always been a creative guy. He's always been trying to just create. And, um, yeah, I mean, when we were in Charleston, the one thing that you could say about him is that guy was always trying to put people on stage. I mean, again, I think the amount of people that, that'll say, you know, Dusty Slay hosted the first open mic I ever did. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people in that kind of, in that town that, that, that say that, so. Yeah, always just a super supportive guy. Cool. You want to write jokes? Yeah, come on over. Yeah. You know, he's still that way. Right. Yeah. You just got to you just got to hit him up. I you hear know? It from, from so many thing, people you know? like Dust. Me and Dusty, we know we have a big uh, circle of friends of friends. And I think I'm gonna have him on here soon. Yeah. Uh, but it'd be fun to pick his brain. Absolutely. Uh, but again, like it's not about Dusty. It was just a curiosity. Also, I know yeah. from a little research that I did on you, uh, which actually EvanBurke.com. Yeah. Uh, you have an extensive bio. Like Try to, it's yeah. intimidating, though. Like, well, I but mean, here's one of the things yeah. is that, and then we'll get off the dusty yeah. train, is that you produced, you co-produced his second round, right? Yeah. We worked together on that. You did? Okay. Yeah. What was that process like? So that for process for me... How you become a producer? It was... So that process for me, yeah, just to give you kind of idea on the backstory there was, you know, so Dusty moved to Nashville and he recorded the Making That Fudge album. Yeah. And, uh... You know, did pretty well, and, and then he starts, you know, headlining and a lot and doing a lot of road gigs. And at this point, you know, when I left Charleston after college and moved to New York, okay, you know, Dusty stayed in Charleston for maybe another year, then moved to Nashville. You know, we would still try and get together once a year and do like a 10 day, 11 day comedy road trip around the Southeast. And a lot of that centered around these gigs that we would do every 4th of July in Seaside, Florida. Uh, which is where they filmed the Truman Show, funny enough, and it's right between Destin and the Panama City. Uh, it's on 30A. And, and so, oh, yeah, 30A. Yeah, so we would always do these, like, 10-day comedy tours. And so, you know, we would always kind of plan those, you know, four to five months out. Uh, and we would, it would always be fun. You know, we'd be in Seaside for July 4th. Where they always I love Seaside, man. Yeah, I mean, it was always a great trip that we would plan around. And so one year, you know, we're talking – and, you know, Dusty's like, man, I think I'm ready to record my second album. Like, I've got another hour. And I'm like, awesome, dude. That that sounds that sounds great. Well, what if we did this? Like, let's really kind of plan this out. What if you, you know, get your material where it needs to be, 
Let's also do our 10-11 day tour. Let's make the final show of the tour in Charleston at a venue that seats about 200 people. Um, we'll get an rec- audio recording of it. Um, and, um, and then you'll record the album, you'll edit it. And then next year when we do our week-long tour, it'll be to promote the album. Makes sense. So, you know, I put a down payment on the venue uh, to record the album that night uh, and just for that show. And um, we executed a great 10-11 day tour uh, where Dusty was really able to get that hour kind of where it needed to be. Um, We did that Charleston show and the whole thing just fit like a glove. (laughs) He murdered. Uh, We had a great sound engineer there. Um, And... And then, yeah, and then Dusty was able to kind of really source out a lot of the art and all the other stuff. And then, uh, you know, he'd kind of hit me up, ask me for my feedback. Not that it, if I said yes or no, it would really mean anything, but I would yeah. just be like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. And so, but also, you're, you're a guy that's been around yeah, him and, for a long time. Yeah. You trust your opinion. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah, and so then, um, you know, once the album is ready to go, next thing you know, uh, I think, yeah, we did the tour that summer of 2016. Mm-hmm. So then that spring of 2017, we're doing another 10-day tour to promote the album, the Son of a Ditch album. Yeah, sure. And, and so then we did, you know, help, I helped co-produce, you know, kind of both tours. The, uh, and then that album, the Son of a Ditch album, did very well um, in terms of just being a very good album, I think, and in terms of... Uh, you know, it's getting a lot. It gets a lot of plays on plays on like Sirius, and then funny enough, when Dusty did Jimmy Fallon, mm-hmm. uh, that's the album that Jimmy Fallon held up. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah. So that that was kind of my role in the whole process was wow. just kind of just being like, hey, I'm you know, let's let's take a step back and like sometimes in comedy you need to have an 18 month plan, and but sometimes you can be so deep in the weeds that you need someone else to come in and see that plan tell you what you they see and just be like all right let's like like bro here's what i see you don't have to do any of it but i feel like it could be cool you know and and i'm sure that a lot of the things he had already been thinking but again sometimes you just i don't know you know so that 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 was kind of my role in the process it's good to have a partner in crime to like uh uh, pull the trigger on it you know what i mean and like help see that through and then part of me also wants to see it being in the passenger seat without any liability or anything at stake really so then one day when i want to do it like if dusty makes any mistakes i'm like i can learn from those mistakes you know i can kind of watch things and be like you know a lot of it is like just watching because like one day i'd love to record an album and i learned so much being a part of that process that i will absolutely apply when i want to record an album like when i want to record an album i'm going to spend six months being on the road as much as i can working out that hour and then I'm going to set up a, a couple of shows in places where there's some sort of home field advantage to some extent and you're going right. to get a good sound engineer and then you're going to you know so yeah it was uh, just being able to be a part of the process again it's it's all you know some comedians get so caught up in whether it's them being the center of attention them being the star and I just, I just like creating I just like being a part of comedy moments and just I don't know that that to me is it being a part of people laughing it, whether it's whether it's me uh, delivering the joke or somebody else I, I could honestly care less to be honest that's, that's, 
the correct attitude because yes, it is a very narcissistic business. Probably the most some could argue that that a person can do. But also, you got to be a fan of comedy in general, or else you're going to let it eat you up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're, and I see it on people's faces, on comics' faces, even locally. Like where I don't know if they like it anymore. I don't think they do. Right. But they don't know what else to do. And like I don't know, you gotta love it. Man. You, you have to love everything it. about it. And you have to be you literally need to be okay that it is this this is a never ending process. Yes, and because if, if you put yourself on any kind of like time limit for success there's no time limit to success. I don't think. You know? And like what is success? It's like having fun. Well, and that's something that I think everyone needs to define for themselves. It's true. You know, it's like everyone, you got to define what success looks like to you. I mean, right now. And I'm I'm starting to figure that out for myself. Yeah. As we speak. You know. I mean, for me, I look around at the people that I that I'm on group text with, and that I talk to, and that was my goal in comedy was to be, was to have the mutual respect of comics that I respect. That was my first goal. You know what I mean? It still is. Yeah. I, I want comics. To, I just want to be one of the boys or yeah. the girls or whatever. Totally. You know? You know, and, and, and it is important to have goals. It's important to have the, the long-term goals, the short-term goals, the the superficial goals, the, you know, the egoless goals. You know, it's important to kind of have them all. But um, Do you feel like you still carry that? Uh, that outlook on life since since the wreck of, um, of uh, you know just just do it kind of thing mentality. kind of but it's changed right because it's like with age I think, yeah because with age there was a piece of me that after the accident was like I'm gonna prove people I'm gonna prove to people Right, sure. like I'm going to. Also, that's I think that's youth too. Yeah, like it, like whatever, whatever approval or attention I was seeking from, like you know, my parents. Oh, let, let me uh, talk about me, interject me real fast. Yeah, because that, that really hit a nerve when you said that because uh, my parents always supported me doing music. Like they would come to the diviest bars. Yeah, and like you know, they just knew me as playing drums I love playing drums when I started doing comedy they couldn't understand right. and it took them until very recently to like finally come around and see that no I'm doing this I'm doing this I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Right. it's like oh he's he's doing this right. I was like yeah it's like right. what did you think I was doing right. and the thing is my, my father is so hilarious you know my, he's the funniest guy yeah. in the world and like so like how did you not think that gene didn't rub off. Right. How did you not think I was going to not try this? Right. But it was funny. I, it took me doing comedy and being 38 years old to finally uh, make my parents disappointed. In right, right. You know, and it, and it it made me jaded in a way where it was like, in that youth sense where I'm going to prove it to them. Right. You know, I'm going to show them that this is going to work. Yeah. You know? Lo- but that was motivated. And that's, and motivated. that's, and that's, I caution coming from that place. It wasn't just but, that, but no, it, it, no, because like, and that's I just wanted their approval. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was too. Is it's like the accident happened, and there was this knee jerk reaction. Like, you know, I'm in therapy now, so there's a lot that I've like been able to process. Oh, but lucky. like, you know, like I wanted to be, you know, I was never good at sports, and that was something that would have always probably Same been very, you know, I, I never visibly made it look like I cared about school even though I did fine yeah uh, that was something that would have probably made everyone happy you know so 
so there was a piece of me that when the accident happened and I go to college and I start doing comedy, there is a piece of me that like wanted to become successful and good for me. But there was also a piece of me that was like, well, no, you know what? I want to show my parents that like, yeah. uh, you know, and, and because you want to have that on some level. It, so, it wasn't my, don't get me wrong. It wasn't yeah. my, you know, like only go, right. but if I could have caught that, in the process of it and I'm starting to get that yeah so like but then but then you gotta be careful because that'll make you do weird things right like my parents I come from a Jewish family a very much like don't quit your day job family just like yeah you know make sure you got benefits make sure you know I come from no, a very like that kind of family and so there was a piece of me that felt like the only way my parents will respect me and what I'm doing and approve of what I'm doing is if whatever I'm doing comes with that. Yeah. So after college, you know, I went to New York and like up until, well. I'm glad, I'm glad you opened that up because I want to hear about your New yeah. York experience. Well, it's like, and I still have a job right now where I, I have benefits and all that stuff, but I, I work remotely now for a company and I'm very grateful for that. But up until this point, I had always worked for some corporate entity where I was going into an office and I was giving them 50 to 60 hours a week of my life, commuting yes. back and forth. And it was kind of out of character. You know, and I did that for like a corporate PR firm for a bit. And then I did it for TMZ for a bit. And I thought... I and, saw that on your bio. And, and I thought that that was going to be the thing where I was like, my parents will finally respect what I've done in comedy. Like I was a comedian for... I was a comedian for... I've been a comedian seven or eight years now. And, and finally TMZ is hiring me to, to talk to celebrities and to, to deliver their news and be on camera and provide hot takes. Like... Like they'll they'll finally see that. Like, are you on that? I was on to something. Are you, you on know? the actual? Are you on screen? Are you on? I was episodes? on screen often. Were you really? Yeah, for about two and a half years. Were you in the room with the guy with the? For about a year. S sipping that. So thing. for a year. What was in that cup? Water. Okay. Yeah. So for a year I was that. I was doing that. Really. And then for another year I was in the field interviewing celebrities with a video camera yeah. but then I would go into the New York office and I would be the field correspondent so they would also okay. throw the camera to me what's your uh, favorite story from that experience oh <laughs> good or bad well I've got a few man I mean what, what's the first one when I asked you that popped in your head the first one that pops into my head the first story that pops into my head if you, can, if you can tell. Well, I would say, I would say, like, you know, is meeting, like, you know, one of my idols, one of my favorite rappers, Killer Mike of, uh, of Run the Jewels. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in Atlanta at this point. I, you know, TMZ had sent me to Atlanta to try and hire some people. And there's a lot going on in Atlanta at the time. You know, a lot of athletes, rappers, movies being made. But, like, at this point, like, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor, is, like, running and, and, and I'm at the local radio station where I often see people just hanging out, seeing who I might see. And, and I see her. I see the mayor. And I'm like, oh, damn, I see the mayor right now. Like, I'm going to interview her when she comes out. That's awesome. Yeah. But then, like, Killer Mike walks in. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit, Killer Mike. And they're at the Starbucks in the radio station at the bottom. So I'm looking at them through the glass. And, and they're, ha they're, they're there to meet each other, like, to have a oh, meeting. Because wow. Killer Mike is, like, a social advocate and stuff okay. like that. And, uh, and man, like they got up from the table and I kind of just trailed Killer Mike on the way out. I was like, I'm not getting the mayor. I'm going for Killer Mike. And yeah. I kind of followed him to the parking garage. And then I just, 
approached the conversation and uh, ended up having like a really great conversation with him and his wife and he gave me a great interview and we hung out for a bit and and then anytime I would see him after that he was super nice Nice. and you know another great story too is you know when I was in Atlanta Diamond Dallas Page DDP has his yoga yoga performance you know he's into yoga now and he's really doing amazing stuff he changed Jake the Snake's life Scott Hall lots of people's lives yeah the whole thing Uh, his that whole studio is 10-15 minutes from my parents house where I was staying Uh, so I just went over there one day introduced myself he's like hell yeah I want to be interviewed for TMZ we became kind of good buddies yeah so that's amazing. Yeah. So some of those stories are great. I mean, I do have some stories about, you know, being in LA or being in New York and running around the city and fighting the elements, whether it's the, I mean, I mean, some of the most brutal stories is walking around New York city in 20 degree weather because I'm getting, you know, I'm getting paid for a 10 hour shift. I got to try and come up with something. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that it's 20 degrees outside. Like you got to find something, you know? And so, uh, Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so that job for me to go back to the kind of the point yeah. was like for me I was like my parents will finally see you know oh, but yeah. but then but then you know and I think the pandemic made a lot of people wake up to being like well, what am I doing for me yes is the life that I'm living right now yes for me or am I just trying to show off to people and all this stuff and that was a working for TMZ was a true wake up call for me uh, in in that regard in terms of being like. Okay, you know, as comics, we all want like a superficial credit. We all want a credit. We all want a comedy credit, really. Like mm. we all want a, a legitimate comedy credit. And uh, and in my mind, being on TMZ was that. And I know in reality, it's not. Like I know that it's not a comedy credit. Comedy yeah. is comedy credit is Comedy Central. It's it's you know what I mean. Which you know you, you're never going to put TMZ on one of your show posters. I don't think. Mm-mm. Yeah. And, I, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because because that's the thing, though, right? Is it's like I needed I needed it for me. Like I needed – there was a chip on my shoulder that was like I needed to prove to the community in my life. Validation. That my seven, eight years of prioritizing comedy was going to amount to something. Yeah. And for me, being on TMZ was that. And now I feel free – from the pressure to do anything for anyone's acceptance. Good. And so now I'm learning to live in this space. And this is, I've only been in this space for about two years. <laughs> but hey, man. But it's all chapters. We're all, like, yeah. our whole lives are and chapters we and every, we all evolve. And so, and that's kind of the space that I'm at right now. But I will say, up until about two years ago, I mean, everything that I was doing was. To try and appease okay. what I thought people kind of wanted of me. But that is a good cautionary tale to not do that. Because how many comics I think that should benefit? Anybody's listening to this right now. I mean, how many know? comics are being driven by like an early childhood trauma? Most of them. You probably. know, being neglected from by their parents or being bullied by kids. And, and I feel like, bad about that because I had a good childhood. You know? Well, it's just all you want to be aware. That's the whole thing, right? It's all about awareness, right? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? And uh, and I think as it relates to goals and comedy, like we were talking about, it's very important to have goals. Like my my long term, my four year goal in, in Charleston as a comedian was to, by the end of it, be recognized on the scene as a comedian, not I just assume, by the comedy scene, you, but you by achieved, musicians and stuff. I assume you achieved that. 
after that four years? Yeah, I mean, after four years, like, literally as I'm driving out of, of Charleston uh, in a U-Haul, because I'm about to move to New York in a month, you know, my face was on the cover of the Charleston City newspaper, very similar to the Nashville scene here, okay. because uh, we had put on, like, a farewell show at the Charleston Music Hall. Me, I was on it. Dusty really helped organize it and facilitate a lot of it. Actually, the show almost didn't happen until Dusty stepped in. Okay. Um, and I, I kind of didn't really... I was indifferent to the venue, but the venue we ended up deciding to go with was a huge, like, 800-person venue, and one of our friends took it over, and we were like, let's do the farewell show there. Wow. And when really we should have just done the Improv Theater, 140 yeah. seats, yeah. maybe about three or four weeks before the show, the venue's like, I think we should cancel. <laughs> like, 800's a lot of seats. It's a lot of seats. And I called Dusty, and I was like, dude... The music hall wants to cancel the show, and at this point, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm out of here in a month. I just want to do a show. I don't care where it is. Let's do Theater 99. Let's do the yeah. the seat place with 140 seats. Like, I'm cool with that. That place is great. Like, it doesn't need to be big. Like, I- I'm cool with it. And he just, he's like, hold on, dude. <laughs> and I guess he called the venue, and he calls me back. And, and I guess they talked out what the plan would be to, like, fill the seats. And he calls me back. He's like, dude, we're doing it at the music hall. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And, you know, the week leading up to the show, the city paper hit me up about doing a story. And I was an intern for them, actually, at one point, too. Like, I did a lot of interning for them. You know, I did a lot. I was kind of like, when I was there, like, I I interned for a lot of people. It's a good Uh, thing to have in your pocket. Yeah. Like, I interned for a lot of people. It wasn't. I just wanted to do everything when I got there. I was get busy living or get busy dying. I had no ulterior motives other than... um, I'm in this amazing town that has all of these different things at my disposal. And I'm in college, but I can also go work for the local newspaper. I can go work for the local minor league baseball team. I can go produce shows at the local comedy theater. I can, you know, co-produce. I can do a radio show with the local, uh, you know, radio station. You know what I mean? Like, um, I was just kind of, I had just really... While all my friends were getting high and getting drunk and wasting time, I was just out shaking hands and being involved in the community and being involved in the scene. So the week leading up to the show, the city paper, and this was like the first time they had actually interviewed me for about a, a show that I had done. Yeah, like sure. I'd been producing shows for four or five, four or five years in town. They never really took interest in any of them. I figured, why would they now, right? <laughs> <laughs> they interviewed me about the show. And the guy's taking my pictures and he's like, all right, so we got to make sure that we get a really good picture. I was like, yeah, we'll get a good picture. He's like, no, we have to make sure we get a good picture because I'm not supposed to tell you this, but unless something major comes up, you're the cover story. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, all right, so let's make sure we get this picture. So, you know, the city paper came out on Wednesday. The show was that Saturday between Wednesday and Saturday. We ended up selling like a bunch of tickets. Yeah. And the show ended up being great. That's amazing. So again, yeah. That's, that's so, and so for me, enthusiasm and like yeah, getting out of the weeds, as you said, and sending the bigger picture. Yeah, but also like I also not only that like I had I had built up a reputation in town. Well, sure, as a I'm comedian. not going to say yeah. that was going to happen like, unless you did. Yeah, because there was a <laughs> there was a local music and arts uh, <laughs> festival in town called Jailbreak that would happen at the old city jail in town oh perfect yeah built built in like the late 1700s i think don't fact check me on that but pretty old looks like a castle <laughs> haunted it's one of the destinations on the 
on the jail on the ghost tours and stuff and music uh art uh, artisans like a really amazing festival and for about two years i produced the uh comedy stage there and that got a that got a lot of comedians in town exposure to the music and arts community like a lot of the musicians together yeah and it was it was cool because that was i was able to provide that to the scene Uh, you know i had been approached to produce that stage and you know for the first few um yeah so so in that regard you know um i you know dusty and i kind of rallied around the idea that a lot both of us were really often just trying to provide opportunities for people to not only get on stage but we wanted people to get better we wanted to put people in a position where it's like listen you're not just at a dive bar anymore it's like now you're in front of like all these people that dressed up are looking at art are drinking wine are yeah. listening to good music and they don't want to hear your shitty jokes <laughs> so you need to make sure you're like becoming a performer becoming oh, yeah. an entertainer um so in that regard we really kind of bonded around that so yeah so that was uh that's kind of how i left charleston but it was interesting like i literally when i rolled out of charleston like that city paper cover came out on wednesday the show was that saturday i left that monday and a new city paper cover came out on wednesday so literally i rolled out of town before the next episode well and it was just and, and that was important for me to do because it's like how easy is it to just get cozy And I went, I literally went from that to a month later. I'm trying to do open mics in New York. No one knows me. And I learned very quickly that a lot of the material that I developed at that point in time from 18 to 22, being a college student in South Carolina, was irrelevant (laughs) in New York at the open mics. So I thought I had 30 minutes and I, I quickly learned I had four. Hmm. So how do you how do you build a repertoire in a city that you don't that you're brand new to? Well, I think you just have to embrace whatever's happening in your life, and that is why when I went to New York, I made it. That's why I always had these day jobs. I got to New York. I I got a day job working for a corporate crisis PR firm. Uh, started off as their office assistant receptionist. Then I got moved to their creative team, doing a lot of video work and stuff. Um, but when I got to New York, I kind of quickly realized like the only way for me to continue to be good at comedy is for me to become an interesting person. Oh, dang. And (laughs) if I don't have any stories and interesting doesn't mean accomplished or it doesn't mean success. It just means like if all I'm doing is obsessing over comedy, I'm not living at all. Right. And so that's why when I was in New York for those four or five years, I really dove into those day jobs that I had and I really got ingrained. I mean, I was working for one of the best corporate crisis PR firms in the world, working on huge projects. And I saw it as a way to, not, you know, learn about that stuff because it's really interesting, you know, but also like, you, learn, you know, you get to see corporate people around and you're like, you're observing and like, what better, you know, what better experience for me to have in my 20s so that when I'm in my 30s I can talk about all the jobs I've had in my life or whatever you know what I mean and and um and I wanted to learn about the world and you know and then but then you know so I when I moved to New York uh, I had that job for like three and a half years 
it was very demanding. I was doing open mics the best that I could, maybe two or three a week. But you moved to New York to do comedy, man. You better be doing comedy every night, two to three times a night. That is the only way you'll move up. You can't part-time it. You can't part-time it. Because A, you won't get good, and B, it is about the hang. Like, those scenes are, are, are more about the hang than you think. Okay. And, and I wasn't doing that. I was definitely a part-timer. And, but there's a piece of me that was like, I know that what I'm gaining over here right now. It's going to inform Yeah, this. because I'm, I've always seen comedy as like a long game. For whatever reason, when I was younger, I was always like, yeah, I'm going to be a sitcom dad in comedy. You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be Zac Efron, right? Yeah. I'm gonna be Danny Tanner. <laughs> I'm gonna be a sitcom dad type <laughs> shit. So it's like, no rush. Just like keep becoming you, becoming interesting, and all this stuff. So, um, yeah. So I, so I, I did the most amount of comedy that I could. Produced a few shows. Got out there as much as I can. But between having or being in a relationship and working and trying to survive in New York. It's like comedy came forth on my life. Um, And then I got kind of antsy at my job, and I kind of realized, like, this is not why I moved to New York. I learned a lot. Maybe my time here is up. And that's when one day I saw a job posting for a field reporter on LinkedIn for TMZ, (laughs) and I applied. And I knew that I was going to get the job. Yeah. I knew it. I literally went home that day, told my girlfriend, babe, just to let you know, I applied for a job at TMZ today for a field reporter. I'm going to get the job. Do I take it? Hmm. And she's like, well, let's let's cross that bridge. Let's cross that bridge when it gets here. And I like go, babe, I go, brave, we have to. We have to talk about it now. Because guess what? A week and a half later, a week and a half later, I'm offered the job. After two rounds of interviews, I'm offered the job a week and a half later. Did she stick around? Oh, of course she stuck around. <laughs> but, you know, and we had differing opinions on whether or not I should take it. But at the end of the day, I said, listen, I'm not taking this job to go win a Pulitzer. I'm a comedian. Yeah. Uh, and one of my big goals in, in at the end of the day in comedy is, you know, you need to have long-term goals is to host. I want to host. I want to interview people. I want to interview interesting people. TMZ has given me a license to do that. Paying you to do that. Yeah. So I quit my job. And within three days, I'm flying to L.A. for training. Wow. And that's when that journey began. And then that's when I really had to stop doing comedy because that job was so demanding, TMZ. But I... Is that thing where you're on call where they're like, hey, we need you tomorrow. You're on a flight to L.A. Kind of, yeah. I mean, the training was... um, the training was, you know, you go out there and you're training. But no, I mean, they want you working anywhere between 50 to 60 hours a week. And if something comes up and they need a camera guy and you're the guy, they'll call you and say, hey, we need you to go somewhere. And I mean, you'll get paid for the hours you work and stuff. But yeah, you're on call and they work with a very small crew. And Well, I, you know, like from an outsider, I know like one of the, uh, uh, the things about the show is like they, uh, those guys are like pushing buttons, you know, trying to get something out of celebrities hey pay hey you know pay attention to us does he ever uh, come up with any um, obviously you had to experience some negative well the whole, yeah i mean i, I experienced some pushback. negative stuff a little bit but at the end of the day because um, you're not there to it's not a negative thing no it's at the just, end of the day the whole goal is to is to the whole goal is to make news yeah so if you can if you can get someone's hot take about something that's what it's about True. so 
you kind of need so you're not pushing buttons but you're asking tough questions yeah. and you're asking questions that normally would not be approved yeah. within the realm of like a press junket so it is a bit of a yeah so you're trying to get people to respond and but you know you never want to you never want to offend anyone you know the whole goal my whole goal every time was to make people feel comfortable enough to to answer my question whether it was controversial or whether i was just trying to get something fun for the tv show about something silly yes kind of thing you know and so but you know it was during that time that i really i was very okay with taking time off from stand-up because basically what i would do is i would go out i would get a video of a celebrity me talking to them and then i would go on fox and talk about it so I was exhausted doing that job, and I was like, well, for this chapter in my life, I'm going to be okay and acknowledge that what I've done in stand-up comedy thus far has gotten me here, and I'm going to enjoy this moment, and I'm going to really give it my all in this moment so that I can... But in this moment, I have to be okay not doing as much stand-up. Yeah. But the trade-off is... To become more Well, I'm on TV. To become more interesting. And then, you know, so then I did that for a few years. And then um, what I will say, though, is that, you know, uh, kind of midway through my journey with TMZ, they moved me to Los Angeles to be in the office as like a news reporter. Yeah. And while I was in Los Angeles, my girlfriend and I were doing long distance. And so I spent all my time either working or really doing comedy yeah. because I was I was really excited because... You know, I've been doing comedy for, at this point, off and on, kind of as a part-timer, for like eight years. And now TMZ's offering me the chance. They're moving me to L.A. And I was like, so you're telling me that I can be nine, eight or nine years into comedy, I can show up to L.A., and no one knows me? No one has seen me before? And I have all this material that I know works, but like I got bored of on the East Coast. and yeah. So I got to L.A., and I aggressively did TMZ, and I aggressively, aggressively got back into stand-up. And I brought back, and I basically just really tried to reinvigorate myself, and I tried to refresh a lot of this material that maybe in college, I got when I got to New York, I felt like it didn't work anymore, so I threw it away. But now that I'm at a different point in my life, I'm looking back at this material from college that I thought was shit in New York and being like, no, this is actually something I can use, you know, so... I was really able to like objectively take a step back, look at what I've done in comedy, look at all my material and be like, all right, how can I make this work for me now yeah. with a bunch of people that have never seen me? Like I can literally start from scratch using eight to nine years of experience and not only experience, but doing comedy in the South, doing comedy in the Southeast, doing comedy in the Northeast in New York. You know, everywhere from shitty dive bars in Goose Creek, South Carolina to the stand. It's like, even if in those moments I was a bit lost and didn't feel good about what I was doing, I needed to get my ass kicked because now that I'm rolling into L.A., it's like, had I not gotten my ass kicked there, well, I'd be afraid to get my ass kicked in L.A. But now, now when I was able to get like a set at the comedy store in the original room 
Now, granted, I wasn't booked by the comedy store. I was booked by an independent producer that books a show at the comedy store. But still, I, I, you're still but still, I per, but still, I performed it in the original room at the comedy store on a Friday night at 8:30 p.m. It's amazing, and and I crushed. Why? Because nine years into comedy, and I was able to kind of like revisit it and understand that maybe I felt good in Charleston years one through four about comedy and then maybe years four through seven I felt really bad about who I was as a comedian I was very lost and all this stuff you guys still okay? oh yeah we're great thank you uh, you know maybe I was very lost you know but I needed to be lost in that moment you know and then you know it was, it's almost been like a kind of a refinding and rediscovering and then on top of t- you know the work I did at TMZ really taking the pressure off me personally to achieve superficial things in entertainment it's like well now I'm on this at this perfect intersection of feeling like the most myself I've ever felt and feeling like I don't owe anyone anything <laughs> and that's where you find me right now in a lot of ways so, what, so how did you get to Nashville? so I got to Nashville because even when I was in New York and even after Charleston, like, I never really wanted to move to New York, to be honest. I I always wanted to, like, experience it and, and be a part of it. But I love being a part of a scene. Like, I love being a part of a community. I love putting on comedy shows that matter, that truly matter in the sense that, like, your community rallies behind it. And, and maybe a comedian is finding themselves in that moment or an audience is like, comedy never comes here. We never get comedy. And thank you guys for doing this. You know, it's like, I like doing comedy with a purpose and comedy that matters. And I found that while I was in New York and LA, I kind of found that if I really took a step back, I realized the only reason I was doing comedy and all of my motivations and goals was like, I was just trying to be famous. Mm -hmm. Everything that I was doing was just trying to get to a point of being famous and I kind of just realized that, like, if I stay here, that's why. But I don't want that. And not only do I not want that, but that's like a, that's what a lot of people here subconsciously are living for and don't realize it. And it's so detrimental and toxic. And, like, it's kind of even hard for me to be around a little bit. And I think there's some people that can separate the whole, like, I'm here to get better and grind and work hard versus, like, I'm here to get famous and become a big star. Right. Because um, when you're shooting for the stars, I mean, like, the fall is very great. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, and it, was, it was especially, like, right after I left TMZ and I was in L.A. And I was kind of figuring out, like, do I want to stay here? Like, And, again, I just was saying, if I stay here, it's literally because, like, I'm trying to be famous. Yeah. And... I don't really want that. And if and if I do become famous, I want it to be because, because of who I am and because of, uh, you know, who I just am as a person or what I've worked on organically, uh, not for, like, saying the wrong thing on TMZ, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, be known for the you wrong know? thing, you know? And, um, and then also, like, you know, I had spent years very far from my family in Atlanta. Yeah. And... I kind of just got to a point after TMZ where I was like, everything that like 18 year the 18 year old Evan that walked into Upper Deck Tavern that night to do comedy has accomplished everything 
that he wanted to in his 20s. And he accomplished everything that he felt like he needed to to prove shit to other people. Mm-hmm. So now what does 30-year-old Evan want? And what I want is I want to be close to my family. I want to be part of a comedy scene. I want to be a part of a comedy community. Um, I want to feel... I want to. I want to feel like I'm doing comedy uh, for no one else but me. I don't want to feel like I'm trying to pander, and I'm always tap dancing, um, and and I want to have no expectations. And so, the reason why I'm in Nashville is because, you know, uh, when Dusty moved here, he he always talked it up. He yeah. always said it's a great scene, great comics lot of opportunities both locally and regionally to travel you know because of where it is in proximity yep uh and it's a great place to do comedy and have a quality of life and that's kind of that's exactly what i'm looking for right now i want to be close to my family i want to do comedy with the stakes still high uh, but i also want to have a good quality of life and i don't want to be feel like i'm sacrificing absolutely everything mm. Uh, to to do it because when I was in LA working for TMZ I'm like well my girlfriend's in New York my family's in Georgia I'm not really doing stand-up as much as I kind of want because I'm, I'm here 60 hours a week you know so you kind of get to a point where you realize you know you're sacrificing everything to for this grind and then you get to a point where it's like well maybe you don't need to sacrifice everything and so yeah, I mean, I uh, that was a lot of my goal is I I I just want to enjoy life. I want to enjoy doing comedy, be back in the South, and uh, and I mean, even just being here about a year. Yeah, I and mean, the Nashville comedy scene is awesome. A lot of support, a lot of camaraderie, and again, a lot of opportunities, and and a lot of people that are a lot of people that are really motivated and driven, and and they're just being themselves. Mm. And that's really fun to watch. You go to New York and L.A., you kind of feel like a lot of people are trying to cater. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? And you need a little bit of that. But um, I don't know. I think, you know, I definitely plan on going back to those cities at some point, having a presence, do shows there. Hell, I might even live in those cities again at some point. My girlfriend's a New Yorker. She loves New York. If it was up to her, we'd be living there right now. You know, yeah. So I don't count it out. But is she here with you now? She is. So she splits her time between New York and, and uh, Nashville. Nice. You know, so I'm not counting it out. But at this point in my life, at this chapter, yeah. after kind of what I did in my 20s and where I was at and kind of doing all these things because I felt like I needed to, you know, uh, I really like being here. I really like the scene. I really like doing comedy here. And, and uh, that's, yeah, that's why... That's why Nashville. That's a big story, buddy. You know? That's a lot, man. Yeah. That's a lived life. You're only 30, you know? Yeah, you know? But um, part, of, part of me feels like like I was it's, it was a lived life, but like I felt like I was so asleep at the wheel. Mm. You know? I felt like I felt like a lot of what I was doing was uh, was because of what, like, the Evan that watched American Idol growing up was trained and programmed to do. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Versus, uh, I think it was more ex- extrinsic motivation. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, and and, and you kind of don't realize that the American dream isn't necessarily making it, becoming famous, lots of money, big house. The American dream is 
defining what success looks like to you and pursuing that to the fullest extent. That's the American dream, not what we've been told. And I, I, and nothing, nothing will show you that more than working for TMZ, covering the lives of the rich and famous. Yeah. Uh, you know, all these people that live lives that they can't afford, you know, and then it all comes crumbling down. And, and what were they doing? Living a life, trying to impress others, right? And then it all, it's a house of cards. Which is what that whole city, I think, is based on. You know? <laughs> so I think it's very important to spend time in those cities as a comedian, meet people, see what it's all about, understand the politics, understand the dynamics. Um, you know, it's very important. I, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that. You know, like, yeah. I think it's very important to... To, to, to whether you go there and live there for a year or spend a couple weeks there or whatever it's important to just experience it in some capacity um, but uh, yeah so I'm glad to be here I'm glad to meet people like you here you know because yeah. that's what it's all about I'm glad to be here man like, yeah uh, I think you're uh, you're an asset to this community you know what I mean it's like we need people like you that are motivated and making their own opportunities and creating opportunities for others. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like you embrace the scene once you first time I met you. you know, I could tell like you're a fan of the scene and you're one of the boys, you know, so yeah. it's, it's all you can ask for, I think, you know, yeah. from a Nashville comic. But uh, if we don't end this thing, uh, uh, we could go for hours. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, Evan, let, let the people know where they can find you on on the interweb yeah you can find me so I'm online I got a website uh, you can find me at my name.com that's Evan E-V-A-N Burke B-E-R-K-E yes not you are like com. I put on the poster yeah. my bad no and it's all good you know I did I did Zany's last night they did the same thing oh you know it, that's motivation one day and I'm like one day um, that way you know if you don't do that well to your expectation like well that ain't no, me that ain't me dude yeah. that's another Evan Burke uh, but yeah EvanBurke.com and then you know I got a I got a little web show that I'm developing and uh, you know slowly but surely we call it Show and Tell yes. with Evan Burke. That's on got a YouTube channel, the Show and Tell YouTube. And then yeah, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at my name Evan Burke dot uh, com or at Evan Burke just on Instagram. There it is. So yeah, I mean that's that's where you can find me and hit me up and I'd love to talk to you, dude. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks hey for man, hanging, dude. thank you so much, man, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, a ching, right? Is that it? Or bada ding? I don't know what it is. I used to say badum ching. Badum ching. Badum ching. There it is. And there it was, guys. Another episode in the bag, man. Appreciate Evan for hanging out with us. And appreciate you for hanging out with the Badam Ching. With Carl. Now on the internet. Can you believe that? <laughs> you know where it is because you found it. Appreciate you listening. Uh, for all my rallies out there, if you want to send me fan mail, send me love letters, send me money, uh, hit me up. CR3Comedy at gmail.com. And CR3Comedy is my handle on Instagram, Twitter. Let's be friends. How about that? Uh, merch. I got merch. So shoot me an email and I'll give you the uh, lowdown on how to get your very own Badum Ching t-shirt. Plenty of bangers in the future, ladies and gentlemen. Can't wait to unleash the beast next week. 
So until then, see you later.